would this morning turn with me to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 14 and move down to 21. Ephesians 3, and we'll start with verse 14. Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Now we pray that You would bless this reading of Your Word to our hearts, help us to secure it in good soil. And that we would receive this word in repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about Jesus being made manifest in our world. This is what Epiphany is about Jesus appearing in the flesh, in particular to Gentiles. We've talked about His manifestation in the flesh. We've talked about Him being manifested in the elect of God. And in Him being manifested so that He might be a blessing to all people. As we talked about our water hose example of, you know, you you put a spout on there so you can spray more area. This is what Jesus is doing. He is the spout of God, so to speak. All blessing comes from Him and through Him and by Him, as Paul would say in Colossians. And this morning, I want to look at something that maybe you've seen before, uh, maybe not. And that is Jesus manifesting the Father. Jesus manifested in the family. I want to do it in three ways, very simply. One, look at Paul's actual message here to us in these few verses that we've read. Then ask the question, well, so what? (laughs) And then actually ask the question uh, a little more reverently, what's my response to be then? So let's look at what Paul is actually saying here. Notice how he begins, this reason I bow my knees. Now, he starts chapter 3 off the same way he begins verse 14. So notice this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, 
And then he almost goes into this parenthetical, so to speak, statement, uh, chapter almost, from verses 2 all the way down to 13. <clears throat> now I say par- parenthetical not to mean it's not important. But Paul all of a sudden, he doesn't ever lose track, trust me. Paul is, we're the ones that lose track with what Paul is, is trying to say in his epistles. If you've ever tried to diagram one of these uh, epistles for ten verses, you're, you're going all over the place because he has so many flows of thought. Uh, he, he was a brilliant man, but also this is the Word of God. Notice here, he takes a sidetrack to talk about the mystery of the Gospel, which is Christ revealed. Again, what we've been talking about in Epiphany, Christ appearing to all people. Uh, and the good news going forth. And then he snaps right back into where he started, which was, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now he's in prison. He's actually writing this from prison. Just as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote from prison. Just Martin Luther King Jr. wrote from prison. And many others throughout uh, church history wrote from prisons. So too Paul here writes to the Ephesians uh, from a prison cell. And not only that, he is praying for them. And notice what he says here, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now in the Greek here, you've got two words that are very similar to one another. Uh, One, it means father. The other here for family means fatherhood. Because quite frankly, you can't have a family without a father. God is our Father. It's what we proclaim uh, in, it's proclaimed to us in the Word of God. Jesus comes proclaiming that God is our Father. Not only that, we say it in our creed. Isn't that what we just recited as our affirmation of faith? I mean, the first thing we believe in is that we have a heavenly Father. What Paul is doing here is he's connecting this idea of God as our Father, to everything else in the Bible. When we talk about Abraham being Father Abraham, like we talked about two weeks ago, you know, we all think about the song, at least I do always, Father Abraham, you know. Well, there's a Father who's calling Him. He's not our Father like God is our Father. Israel had a Father God tells Israel, He says, you are my firstborn. Why firstborn? Because they're the firstborn among many nations to know God. If our nation was a Christian nation at some point, it was because it all started with Israel. That firstborn. Not only this, David enters into a covenant with God where God says to David in 2 Samuel, I'm going to have the kind of relationship with you of a father to a son. And one day, from your body will come one who I will call directly son. This is the the Davidic covenant. This is the Davidic prophecy. Interestingly, the last king of Judah was taken into exile by the Babylonians. His sons were lined up before him. Now, I'm very proud of my sons. If I was a king, you know, and I knew they were going to inherit a kingdom, I might even be more proud. I don't know. 
his sons get lined up before him when he goes into exile and they are murdered before him. And then his eyes are gouged out so that the last thing he sees is his lineage, his kingdom wasted. It looks like all hope is gone. There's not going to be another king in Israel until Jesus shows up. Fascinatingly enough, he gets called the son of David, not the son of Joseph. He is called the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph but rather the Son of... And you know who calls Him that more than anybody else? Because that title is very rare in the New Testament, Son of David. You know who calls Him that the most? Blind people. Hmm. Connected back to the Old Testament, isn't it? Also to Isaiah, when the Messiah comes, people's eyes will be opened. Blind people. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Cast his... His coat to the side because he figured he was going... Blind people don't cast their clothes away to the side. You realize that. They can't find it again. He believed he was going to be healed. Son of David, have mercy on us, the two blind people said. And God gave them back their sight. There's a new king in town. But a king that is connected to uh, David in the Old Testament. And now, Paul comes along and he says, you know what? This whole father-son type of thing that's going on that we saw in Jesus' life is connected to the Old Testament. But not only that, it's now connected to us. Now, because of Jesus, we too can call God our Father. He's not just some distant God that's going to judge us one day and we really don't know Him in this life. No, the judge who has the authority to sentence you one way or the other, is your Father. That makes things a lot different, doesn't it? You can breathe a sigh of relief when you know your dad is the judge. Your dad knows you. Especially when you know that this dad is the best dad. He doesn't just wear the shirt, best dad. He proves it to Israel. He proves it in Jesus Christ. He proves it in Paul's life by sending the Spirit to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, personal. God is not distant at all. He's our Father. And we're adopted now into this family, this fatherhood of God. By whom all families are defined. Is it not what it says? Jessica and I watched a show, and some of you know more about the adoptive process than than us. We've had several friends of ours to adopt as well. But the show was focusing on the fact that once you adopt, you are taking that person into your family forever. They are one of you now. They are your blood now, so to speak. All the rights of a blood son or daughter. Isn't it interesting that we too in the church enter in through blood? That's our authority. Is Jesus' own 
blood that was shed for us so that we, sinful, selfish, self-centered, can be cleansed by His blood and enter into a new family. Even there's, a, there's familial family language in the New Testament concerning salvation. Salvation is not the wave of a wand, but rather being born anew. Now in this church, we know a little something about birth. There's lots of it that goes on. Uh, for whatever reason, we are called Harvest Point, but we also are a place of harvest uh, for children, apparently. Uh, we've just had one. We've got one on the way here. Uh, and someone else that's connected to us also is, is pregnant that we pray for. Uh, salvation is looked at as one that is born anew. Isn't that what Nicodemus is told uh, by Jesus in John chapter 3? What is salvation like? It's like being born again. Born anew into a family through adoption. Not only this, Paul says, this heavenly Father defines what it means to be in a family. And the reason why is because God Himself is a divine family. So, every family in the world is defined by God. Not we define family by us and God is some analogy. You see, when you start dealing with analogies, yes, there are analogies to God. So, for instance, uh, God tells in one of the Psalms, God says, look, or the psalmist says, concerning God, I want to bring you under my wing of protection. Now, that's an analogy. It's not saying God has a wing, therefore God is a divine chicken. That is not what is being said there. That is not a one-to-one. It's like when somebody, you know, when I'm at the gym, right, and I see this guy with, you know, 10 45-pound weights on this side, 10 on this, and he gets up there and he leg presses them. I say, man, what a beast. Now, do I, now am I saying, you know, he is a beast? No. Or as people often say concerning me, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a, a bull in a china shop. You know, I'm all over the place. I can't stop moving. I'm turning around and, you know, I, I just I can't do little tedious jobs. This is why I don't, when I'm painting, she does the cutting in. I don't, I, I you know, I'm, I'm a bull. Does that mean I'm a bull? No. You understand what that means. When we talk about bull market, a bear market, those are analogies. But when God reveals Himself as Father, that's not an analogy. God actually is Father. Jesus, God's Son, is the Son. This Father-Son relationship is eternal. There never was a time when the Son was not. This is what we call the Holy Trinity. This is the triunity of God. Three persons make up that one God that we worship. And the one God is made of three persons and not made at all, but eternal. So, God is Father. It's part of His nature. Just as when we say God is love, we're not saying that God just does love sometimes. 
Rather, He in Himself is love. How? Because as, as uh, C.S. Lewis and others point out in church history, the Father loves the Son and the love is the bond or the unity between the two persons. What is that bond or unity? The Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. The Spirit of God is the love of God. He is love. In God, love is so personal, this unity is so personal, this relationship between the two persons, that He is a person. Which is why we must share in the one Spirit. There's only one Spirit, and yet that one Spirit makes us a unity as the body of Christ. Isn't that what Paul says here? Keep reading with me. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner person or inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, again the Spirit, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God in Himself is a divine family. Which is what Jesus really reveals to us in His earthly life. He says, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I come from the Father and am going to the Father. The Father doesn't die on the cross, nor does the Spirit, but rather the Son. And yet, what does Jesus say in His high priestly prayer of John 17? Father, I pray that they are one as we are one. How? Through the Spirit. The Spirit is unity. The Spirit is the love that God can fill us with because He is love. You see, people can say things about me, and often do. They say things like, well, you know, uh, maybe in the gaming world, he's a noob. He can't play very well. Or maybe I don't, I don't speak very well. Or maybe I don't look very... These are all descriptive. There are certain descriptors that are given to God. He's good, he's this, he's that, holy. But when somebody says, Marshall is a father... That's getting down to the very nature of who I am. Marshall is a son. And all of us are a son or daughter of some family. We don't choose that family. And and, and just like religion, just like love, when family is good and right, it's the greatest thing in the world. And when it's wrong and bad, it's the worst thing in the world. Isn't religion like that? Isn't love like that? When it's going right, when it's going good, it's the greatest thing you'll ever experience. When it's bad, it's the worst thing. Because it's the greatest. Family is the greatest thing. It wasn't invented by us. Family's not just biological. It's not taught to us sociologically. Rather, theologically, Paul says... Family is connected to the first family. Who is God the Father 
and God the Son. One in the Spirit. For God is Spirit. And those that would worship Him would worship Him in the Spirit and in the truth of Jesus Christ. (laughs) You say, well, so what? I mean, Jesus appears and, and He connects family, the human family that we're all born into, participate in, can create ourselves, male and female. He connects it to the Father, who's the first family. Big deal. What does, that, what does that really mean for me? It means this. It means that you have a responsibility in this life. Your family that you're a part of, the family that you create if you're married, because the natural result of marriage is to create a family. Unless something is contracepted or wrong, family's a result. Which is why there's a premium put on marriage. Male, female, we need a father, we need a mother. That's going to stay together forever and secure the kids. Because our father is secure. It's not something sociologically. We're not just running statistics saying, oh yeah, it is better for for male and female. No. No, no. This This is theological what we're doing. When you get married, it's theological. When you have a family, it's theological. In other words, it's connected to what God is doing. We're not saying, oh, God is like a family. No, no, no. We are like God. God is not like us. Don't flip the analogy. We're not casting something on God. Rather, He is shedding light on what a family is should be. What a marriage should be. God doesn't need anything and yet He creates everything. Why? Out of love. Super abundance flowing. Overflowing love. He loves the Son so much, He wants other sons and other daughters He loves beauty so much. His artwork is all around us today. I saw it this morning when the when the sun, Jackson said, "Daddy, look at the sunset." I said, "I know, baby. It's awesome, isn't it? Breaking through the clouds like that." Last night we saw the moon come up in full grandeur before it got dark. That's his handiwork. Isn't that what we just read from the Psalm nineteen? It's speaking to us about the fact that He loves beauty. He loves goodness, light, creativity. All things that we can participate in. Why? Because we are the image of God. We're the image of God. Not the other way around. We haven't made God into our image. That's idolatry. Rather, we image Him in these institutions of marriage and family.
So that's why. <laughs> it's good news. It's good news. We all have that capacity in us. Every one of us is connected to a family. Whether or Maybe you have the calling never to be married. Paul had that calling, apparently. You're still a part of a family. St. Paul, that is. Make a, uh, make a clarification here. That's good news, folks. It's the best news in all of the world. So what do we do about that good news? <clears throat> a few things. Number one, pray. <laughs> Sounds simple. Pray. Pray, and yet it's something we don't do enough of. Paul, he can't, Paul can't even write a letter without praying. He's sitting here writing to the Ephesians and breaks out into prayer. And the whole chapter is, is a prayer. Chapter 3 is, is a prayer in its entirety. He does the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. He does the same thing in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. He does it in all his letters. He can't even write without praying. We ought not to be able to work at our jobs without praying. Breaking out into prayer. When somebody says to you, would you pray about, about this? Don't just say, yeah, yeah, I'll pray about that. Do it then. Why not? Are we ashamed of the gospel? I hope not because Jesus says, those who are ashamed of my Father, I'll be ashamed of them when I come. Also, when we pray, our posture matters. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Elsewhere, he says he lifts up his hands. And he would advise people to lift up holy hands to God. You say, well, I can pray in my seat without you even noticing with my eyes open. Sure you can. You can pray while you're driving down the road. Sure you can. But there needs to come a time. I'm not saying it has to be here. In your life where you posture your body to match your spirit. Your body and my, the stuff you're thinking about. I mean, I can tell Jessica all day, look, babe, I think about hugging you all the time, sweetie. Don't worry about it. I think about it all the time, babe. We don't need to do it. We don't need to hug each other. I just, these good thoughts. Don't worry about it. No, we need to say to ourself, to our body, you know what, body? Get down on your face. Lift up your hands to God. Bow your head before the Father in, this, in submission to the King of Kings and the Lord. Because one day, no matter if you're unwilling to bend the knee now or not, you will be on your face before... We all will. No one will be standing. Why not now? Why not here? Posture your body to match what it is you're saying in your soul. Especially during this time of repentance of Lent that's coming up. Bow yourself to the ground. So pray. Pray is the first thing. Praying is not something we need to learn more about. It's something we need to do more about. Would you not agree? Just like communication. You know, I don't need to say, Babe, we're really having a tough time here communicating. Let's go take a couple classes. No. We just need to sit down and learn it through doing it, not in some academic setting. 
You don't need to learn more about praying in order to pray. Just start praying to God from your heart. Do I want some kind of prefabbed speech by Jessica? No. I want what's coming from her heart. So does God. Also, Paul would encourage us this morning, if we want to have this good news, to receive it. It's just that simple to receive. And yet it's so difficult for us to actually open our hands. We are like a little child saying, Mine. And we're unwilling to accept the gift of our Father because we have clenched fists before God. We won't let go of the things that we want. You know, one of of the things my children do, if I say, hey, stop playing the DS, they turn away from me and they, hmm. That's what we do to God. He's got His gift extended out. And we can't even see it because we've turned our back on Him. Because we've clenched up. I'm saying, posture your soul to this. <clears throat> you ever seen a little child struggle up a stairwell? They can't hardly do it? What's the only thing they got to do to get up there? Daddy! That's all they do. This number right here. Now, now Bo, he just does this number. He backs up into me, you know. Because he knows how to get it done. He knows how to get it. This is how you get it done. Posture yourself in this manner. Open hands. Open heart. I'm exposed right here. I mean, you know, if people start shooting, this is not the posture you want. This is the posture you want if you want to get noticed. If you want the grace of God to pour forth into your life. There's a rhyme and reason to the physical posture we have toward God. Lastly, know His love. Be founded in His love. Grounded, rooted in His love. And the only way you're going to get roots in love is to die to yourself. Because selfishness, self-centeredness is the exact opposite of being rooted in love. In order for a, a little seed, I don't know a lot about gardening, you understand. But I know a little bit about horticulture. And that is, a little seed is going to remain a seed as long as it doesn't drop into the ground and be buried. When you drop it into the ground and you bury it with dirt, it germinates. Which actually kind of means it goes through a birthing slash death process. It has to die to being a seed in order to actually become a plant. And when it becomes a plant, it grows roots in love. So what am I saying this morning? You must be born again. Born of the Spirit. Leaving your old life. Leaving your old mentality. Gaining the mind of Christ, rooted in God's love, who is the Spirit. You can't do anything. There is no power, just as Paul just said, 
without God's Spirit. You'll never be able to live the Christian life. You'll never have the joy of the Lord. You'll never know love unless you have God's very Spirit, His Holy Spirit. So I would ask you this morning, how are you going to respond to this good news? Stick your nose up in the air and think you're too good to posture yourself before God? Snub God and act like it's no big deal? Go back to your normal ways? You see, this point here where we respond is the most important part of our service. And oftentimes, this is where we start making preparations for lunch. This is where we start giving our minds away back to whatever it is we want. I would ask you to just do one thing. Pray. Pray. Like for Rachel to come and sing us that last song that we sang. I want you to today either sit or kneel before God in this response time. If you want to raise your hands in posture to God, crying out to God, I want everybody in the place to close their eyes. I don't normally do this, but, but here's why we would close our eyes. Because when I'm trying to concentrate, and i got kids in the background, and I'm trying to write notes, I have to close my eyes sometimes in order to concentrate. I want you to close your eyes for the purpose of concentrating on Jesus Christ. And either kneel before Him right there at your seat in your aisle, or sit before God in a posture of submission to our good Heavenly Father. Asking Him to help us be good mothers, good fathers, good sisters, good brothers. Not only in our physical families, biologically, but in the family of God. And for the sake of a lost and dying world who needs to know that there's a good Father. There's someone who loves them. So let this song be your prayer this morning as we respond to God.